I know what you're thinking. God damn, that was long. Yeah, it was like 50 something, 53 seconds. That was an instrumental called Win Then Reset by Ask Again. I got them from the freemusicarchive.org. So if you want to grab a bunch of free stuff, freemusicarchive.org. I essentially went to that website because I'm not trying to get sued from some corporation that interprets copyright and then, you know, can ruin a podcaster's life. So. The Fair Use Act uh, only goes so far. And only about, you know, five people will listen to this, so it probably doesn't matter. <clears throat> Hi, I'm Manly. Um, you probably know who I am because <laughs> you downloaded this, or you went way too deep in the rabbit hole of iTunes and you're that dark place where you just found some random website or podcast. And now you're listening to this, so. Welcome, bitch. What's up with me? Uh, looking for a new property. I've been in the market for X amount of time. I think uh, not just me. 56% of economists are predicting at the end of 2019 houses come start coming down on prices. So trying to sell what I got and you know, maybe if I can find a good deal somewhere, I'll go ahead and do that. So the good news is I finally got a 680 for a credit score, 680 and above. That's where you want to be. That's the top tier of credit pools. They pull three, for those that don't know, they pull three big numbers from Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. And one number is usually high and one number is usually low and one number is in the middle. Loan officers will usually take that middle number and start gathering data from that point. So if you can get 680, that's a good thing. Uh, my credit was shit from the divorce, so it is, you know that's the norm. You get divorced and your numbers go down. So don't get divorced unless you kind of are in a pickle and divorce is the only option. What else is new with me? Uh, I saw the Stone Temple Pilots concert and holy shit, that was amazing. I'm kind of jaded from the last concert I went to. It was a long time ago. I went to a 50 Cent and Fabulous concert. Fabulous is coming back to Hawaii on the Major Raja. But pretty jaded. <laughs> the concert was alright. Um, it's kind of a bummer. Took this girl out there and... You know, he's young. I don't know how old I was. 19, 20, 18? I don't even know. I guess I could Google when they last came. So we go out, and in my stupid head, I start thinking, yeah, I take her to a concert. We're going to, you know, have fun. And maybe we're gonna, we had a hotel and the whole nine, and everything just blew up in my face. The concert was weird. The energy between me and her was weird. I probably was like super awkward and didn't know what to do with my hands. So it, it just, just ended in absolute uh, ruin. So that's my shitty concert story that made me not go to concerts until recently. So this. Stone Temple Pilots 
concert was really good. I think I'll play a STP song uh, to kick this off and then maybe I'll start with a question. Okay.
one hell of a song. Stone Temple Pilots, Creep. Half the man I used to be. It's kind of the antithesis of what I want the dominant narrative of this podcast to be. If you're going through life and you look back on your life and you realize that you're half the man you used to be, whether it be your net worth or your social life or your goals that you want to achieve, I think you're going backwards in a sense. And I think everybody, especially like not if you're a 90s baby like me, well, 90s baby, I grew up in the 90s, so... 90s rock essentially raised me. Children of the corn, all that stuff. So, Scott Weiland, I think a lot of people who grew up in the 90s know his story. He's addicted to drugs and he, you know, succumbed to his addiction. And he was found dead on his tour bus uh, with a bunch of drugs. So, um, yeah. Sad story. And you could hear it in his lyrics as well. So, I think you should be 150% of the man or woman that you used to be. You should uh, be progressing through everything you want to achieve instead of decreasing by 50% as time goes on. So, that's how Scott felt. And another thing, Jeff Gutt, G-U-T-T, I think that's how you say his name. He's the new lead singer of STP and he's really good um usually when you get a new lead singer into a band nobody gives a shit um he's not as good as the fucking original Led Zeppelin or whatever people say but that motherfucker can belch so super stoked uh I'm a fan hopefully you're a fan as well um I got analytics on this thing and they they give me a bunch of numbers of who's downloading and but I don't know if I'll ever get age demographics probably not maybe one day when questions start coming in so don't be half the man or woman we're politically incorrect or correct on this podcast we're just me right now so we'll start hitting some questions <clears throat> there's a lot here so Let's see if we can hit an hour. From Fire Rose Arian. I kind of categorize these questions. There's a bunch of real estate questions here in the beginning. Leadership and there's some miscellaneous shit intermittently throughout the questions. So if I end up being all over the place, then I'm just being normal. So, uh, Fire Rose Arian. Kind of generalized this question now to real estate investors and agents. What are the questions buyers should be asking but aren't? What are the questions buyers should be asking but aren't? Um, probably what their total payment will be. So in the real estate investor world, we use PITI. It's the principal uh, payment that you pay along with the interest, along with the tax and insurance. Uh, in the condo world, they look at the maintenance fee slash HOA fee. Also be advised of any kind of special assessments that might be going on with the condominium, with the building, or anything associated with that property. 
So I think, especially like people who are new to real estate, they'll only, maybe they download an app, maybe they'll download a calculator and maybe they think like, oh, I know for sure my payment's going to be, you know, $1,200 a month or, you know, pick a number. And then when they start engaging with the bank, they start realizing very rapidly that, holy shit, there's more variables here. Uh, taxes are paid usually every six months, but it's smart to break that down into the monthly, even though you write a check every six months. Also, the maintenance fees, especially in Hawaii, maintenance fees can really punch you in the gut. So it's important to remember P-I-T-I plus the M or any kind of other fees. So wrap your head around the numbers sooner rather than later because having a surprise towards the closing of the property isn't good. So if you, I mean, if you have a good real estate agent, especially if the real estate agent owns property, you should be fine because he or she will know what to look for because they own property. Maybe they have a condo. Maybe they know what it's like to pay taxes. Uh, maybe they dealt with flood zones and how the insurance changes and um, things like that. So what I see with clients or with uh, customers is they fail to wrap their head around the numbers initially. They get so emotionally wrapped up into buying. I, oh my God, I like love this property. Like this is like the like God himself has made this property. Jesus came back from the dead and will live in this house. Like they, people get really emotionally wrapped up. Like it's just a box. This is a box for an advanced human primate to live in. Like me, you, anybody. Like we just open a door and boom, we're in a box. So, I get hyped up, I apologize, but that's, that's, you tried your best not to get emotionally tied up uh, and really put math at the forefront of your real estate deal. Because if not, you'll get fucked, man. I've seen so many people get fucked. People promise them, they get emotionally wrapped up, uh, they sign the wrong documents, a buddy of mine, veteran, uh, Iraqi and Afghanistan veteran lost his house. So let's not do that. Wrap your head around the numbers. Try to do your best to understand what the fuck is going on and figure it out. Um, What else? Some subtleties. Maybe the history of sales. Your real estate agent would can pull up the history of the sales. Uh, very far back, they can look what it sold for, when it sold, how many times it was sold. It's like a Carfax for your real estate property. They can pull all that shit up. So, the more knowledge, the better. <laughs> I do a little uh, tactic. I don't know if I should even say this, but IDGAF, I guess. I like to look at how much they bought the property for and or how much they still owe on the property. If that number is low, then Uncle Manley is coming in with an offer that uh, could be relatively low relative to what they're asking for. So history of sales is kind of important. Um, but generally speaking, real estate is pretty safe. I mean, there's a lot of 
checks and balances to ensure the buyer doesn't get fucked over, for example, you're going to have to get a property inspector. The property inspector is going to come in and it's his job to find the shit that you're not going to find. Like he's going to say this is screwed up and that needs to be changed and all of this needs to be redone and oh my god, like the bathroom is like completely wrecked. And he's going to give you a very large document that you should go through. Sometimes people don't even go through that shit. So the property inspection report, very important. Uh, termite inspection report, that's another check and balance. They're going to go in there and they're going to go on their hands and knees and they're going to crawl and they're going to look for termites because their job is to protect you. So... My opinion, real estate is very safe because there's so many checks and balances and the title company is going to catch anything squirrely, generally speaking. It's very hard to get fucked in my opinion. If the numbers are right, you're going to be fine. So, I don't know, man. Do your due diligence and those are maybe that was a lot of answers for you, Fire Rose Arian. Hopefully uh, that answers your question, even though I'd have to, I guess, maybe I should add these people back on Reddit and say, hey, answer your question, <laughs> download the podcast. Okay, next, from Adam James 2828, 2828, 20, he's probably 28. I bought a home for $164,000 and I did the math. Ah, somebody that did math, nice. At the end of the 30-year mortgage with zero down, I will have paid 328,000, 328, okay? How is real estate a smart investment? Hmm. Okay. People get asked this question a lot. You, me, anybody that buys property, they're going to get fucked over if they take 30 years to pay off their mortgage. Why? Because there's compound interest and there's simple interest. And when it comes to real estate, you're paying compound interest. You don't really pay your property off towards 15 years and beyond. Bank says, hey, Mr. Homeowner, give me all the interest on the front end. And then we'll switch it about halfway through. And then you can start paying your principal down. So, good question, Adam James. Um... The problem with your question is that even though you pay a lot more at the end of the 30 years, if you rent for 30 years, you're going to own a goddamn home. At the end of your renting of the 30 years, you own shit. And your rent goes up every year. You can refinance your property as time goes on. The Federal Reserve says, hey, we got to drop the interest rate because nobody's buying homes because... Sub, sub, the the sub loan prime crisis is happening, i.e., two thousand and eight and nine that everyone's still aware of. So, buy even though yes, you get fucked mathematically, but it's way better than renting. Um, I just kicked a couple of tenants out because I I sold one of their properties, and if you own, they can't kick you out. So, anyway, that's just that's just one of many. Reasons as to why buying is way better. You build wealth over time as well. So you and your real estate 
generally speaking, your real estate property goes up over time. I mean, you can just look at the data. Real estate always goes up. Uh, some places not so much, though. In Hawaii, it's a very unique market. The property I have in Indiana will probably stay the same for a long time because you get a goddamn house in Indiana for $50,000. Uh, very cheap there. And maybe nobody wants to live there. Uh, I, the house is nice. I like it. So I would live there. It's just I'm not a fan of winter. I don't know how anybody's a fan of winter. Okay, so you build wealth over time. You can use that wealth to buy other properties. Um, you could chunk your mortgage. I don't even want to talk about that because that's a whole another podcast probably. Like chunking your mortgage is a way to knock your loan down faster. Um, chunking your mortgage has gotten huge in Hawaii with sweep strategies and financial 101. And people go to a seminar and all of a sudden they're an expert. It's like, I went to a seminar and I'm going to talk as though I have an MBA now. It's like, shut the fuck up, bitch. You went to somebody's living room and watched them draw on a piece of paper. Um, yeah, so... Chunking your mortgage can be good, but don't pay $6,000 to learn how to do it. You can Google an article and learn how to do that. Uh, yeah, but I'll probably get hate for that. Uh, something to pass on to your kids. That's a good one. Uh, you're not going to live forever. Do you have kids? I don't know if you have kids. I don't know if you have uh, anybody you want to pass your shit down to. So that's a nice city, right? You're going to end up in your coffin anyway, and... People are going to cry and some people are going to be happy that you gave them a human box, let's call it, because we removed the emotions from the property. Um, yeah, I think that answers your question. That was like a five-minute goddamn answer. Okay, so this next one, another real estate. I don't know how much real estate is on here. I just was copying and pasting. From Skids with Guns. Reminds me of the Gorilla song, uh, Kids with Guns. Real estate agents of Reddit, what is the craziest thing you have seen while showing a home? Alright. This is 2016, maybe? I went to go look at a property um, out in Makaha Valley. It's... Uh, on the leeward coast of Oahu, you go west until you hit that last 7-Eleven and then you go up the mountain and there's a bunch of houses and townhouses up there, so condos. And I went up there and um, made contact with the real estate agent um, via phone, got the code to get in and got the key out of the lockbox, put the key in the door. And I tried to open the door. So I'm opening the door, trying to open the door. But it's as if somebody's on the other side of the door holding that door closed. And I know that they're squatters. I know that people just sit in properties. I know people scope out units and find out who's not living in certain units anymore. And they just go live in it. We were out in Kapolei one time. And... As we entered, we saw a bunch of people run out the back, and there was, like, ice cream wrappers all over the property. So 
people live in a unit. People, the humans are smart. I mean, it's, there's a reason why we're on the top of the food chain. I mean, especially in groups, we figure shit out. Anyway, trying to open the door in Makaha Valley and it's just not budging. It, it's as if someone's like not trying to let me in. So I'm getting like really upset. So a, a part of me just says, you know what? Bust this door down barge in and just deal with whatever's on the other side of the door fine so i finally like bust through that door i open it i plow through and i'm just ready to like sprawl or you know just deal with whatever's on this other side of the door and i get in there and nobody's behind the door so i start walking around the unit and i'm looking like underneath the bed i look in a closet I'm like, there's a somebody in this unit that's not supposed to be in here. So I I search the entire unit and I can't find anyone and I uh, I I couldn't fathom how we we were on the second floor. I couldn't fathom how somebody had blocked the door and had escaped the unit in, in at Spider-Man speed in a sense. So that was one of the craziest things. I was uh, essentially looking for a fight, but the rage had taken over. I was trying to look at a unit. Uh, I I was running low on time, and I just really had no time for some bullshit like that. So that was one of the craziest things. That I mean, that's just in Hawaii. Like when we went up to Indiana to go look at properties, like. Motherfuckers carry guns when they go look at properties. Like, shit gets real up in America, up in the U.S. mainland. So, my stories are probably absolute jack shit compared to other people's stories. Okay, so, from Fun-Sized Samurai. Okay, looks like we're done with the real estate questions. And if you got questions, just send them to me. Fuck it. I'm I my goal is to hopefully get a few questions at admin at manlysuza.com. Uh, maybe I gotta do a hundred podcasts, maybe that's my goal. Get a hundred in and then start marketing like, hey, uh, my mental illness is making me do this weekly or every two weeks or whatever. So send some goddamn questions in. I don't know. So, fun-sized samurai. Today, my employer held a catered leadership conference for managers only. Ah, Aiming to improve employee morale. That's good. The employees were left out. Okay. Hungry and had to work twice as hard to make up for absent managers. Okay, that's not cool. Why would leadership do that? So your employer held a catered leadership conference for managers only. All right, aiming to improve, aiming to improve employee morale. So they should have. What I wonder what the business is. Why don't you just shut the business down? Everybody take a day off, and then you just deal with the managers on the side. So this fucking employer decided to leave the business open. With no manager there. Wow. Okay, that's like really wrong already. 
But what is your argument? I, I don't understand your angle here. Are you upset that the employees had to deal with day-to-day -day operations without managers? Are you upset that you're not a manager? Are you upset that you feel left out? Are you upset that maybe one of your buddies became a manager and there's some sort of envy there? I wish this question was a little more specific. In the military, we talk about uh, RHIP, that rank has its privilege. So yes, when you become a manager, when you become a leader, there are some perks to that. There's no denying that when you're the general manager of, I don't know, pick a place, Papa John's or Pizza Hut or just naming pizzas, uh, McDonald's, like you're going to make the schedule, you're going to you're going to decide like, okay, the general manager will be off Saturdays and the assistant manager will work Saturdays or maybe the assistant manager uh, doesn't want to work Friday nights and then now the shift manager has to work Friday nights. So rank has its privilege all the way up. Um, but with that privilege comes responsibility. Like there, there's a lot on your plate, so... Uh, there's, I guess, two ways to look at it. You can be angry. You could be an angry employee. Hungry. Why are you hungry? We were left out and hungry? <laughs> Just go eat something. We were left out and hungry. That's interesting. Uh, so that should be an incentive to unfuck your life in a sense and, you know, maybe become a manager. Are you going to stay there for long? What are you trying to do? Are you going to school? Become a manager, get the privilege. If you're envious of the privilege, figure out a way to become a manager in that organization and gain that privilege. The flip side of this is that if an employer brings all the leaders in to improve employee morale, their intentions are good. Their intentions are trying to fix the organization. That's a good thing. Like, if... Maybe they did it because the morale is bad. Like, morale is probably lower than what it should be, especially in Western culture. So, they're trying to be a better organization. I say cut them some slack. They're trying to fix it. They should have closed the business that day. I agree with you, but you shouldn't feel left out and hungry. That's weird. Okay? Fun-sized samurai. I'm gonna guess that they're Asian. Oh, <gasps> racist! From "I'm not your Odin son." Which celebrity would make the worst leader of a country? Probably the youngest ones. The youngest ones where their brain's not fully developed. Your brain doesn't really develop until 25, 26. Uh, so that's a bummer because you're an adult at 18 and you gotta make very important decisions at 18, 19, 20, 21. So you got like seven years of just being an adult, making adult decisions and having your brain just do whatever the fuck it wants. So that's not cool. Uh, what's that young girl? Lil Tay Tay? Lil Tay? Uh, throwing around money and... She's millions of followers on Instagram. I don't even know. She's got Ferraris. Her mom's a real estate chick. 
she got busted for using the houses on the market to show off her daughter's wealth. So she got hammered pretty bad. She would be a, one of the worst leaders of our country. Anybody young, essentially, because emotional intelligence matures the older you get. It's actually the last part of our brain to mature. So I think age is important when it comes to uh, leading and Trump 70 or whatever, and he the worst leader ever so you know I, I can see people say that and there's the counter argument to that but let's not even fucking deal with that right now the cash me outside girl that's probably really bad leader for the country right cause she's just gonna throw money at North Korea and try to fix it like cash me outside Kim Jong Un and then he you know sends a rocket to her or something Okay, so from Young Young twenty one 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 two one one one. How do you become a leader? How do you become a leader? Oh, that's a loaded question. The short answer is experience. Um, and the long answer is it depends on what kind of I mean leadership is like nobody really knows what leadership is there's like 150 different definitions there's a contemporary model there's leadership argued from Plato's time where it's the trait behavior where leadership was inherent it got switched over to the 19th century when it became the behavioral model and then we fast forward now into like a transformational leadership versus a transactional leadership. I mean, people do not know what leadership is, but the strongest argument, and I've been in the literature, and I've read it, and I've seen it, and I've critiqued it, and I've wrote 20-page papers on it, and you name it, so on and so forth. I've, I've gone all the way back to Genghis Khan and analyzed his style of leadership and why he was so successful, and I've made a case as to why he was one of the greatest leaders ever. We'll talk about that another time because that's really long. It's transformational leadership along with high emotional intelligence. That's the two that seem to resonate the best when it comes to leadership and subordinates. There, there is no clear-cut universal winner because every organization is different. There is no universal model that fits every single scenario. But in Western culture, and even in the Chinese military, they've done a study on this as well. It seems as though transformational leadership along with high emotional intelligence is numero uno when it comes to leadership throughout organizations. Learning to equip people, that's big too. Um, they got the five-step process for equipping people, so... Say, for example, I I do a thing, right? I complete a task. Step two of completing a task is I'll complete the task and you're going to, you're with me. You're going to watch me complete that task. Then you have step number three. Step number three is you complete the task and I oversee you complete the task. 
Step number four is you complete that task and now you don't need me anymore. You are now autonomous with completing the task because you're equipped with knocking out whatever that task is. And then the final step of equipping your personnel is that they now have the ability to equip others. So that five-step process propagates throughout the organization and that's how you really transform your organization from one person equipping one person and that shit just goes all the way down and now you have autonomy and then you can maybe transition to like a laissez-faire type of later leadership where it's a hands-off and you just let the machine run itself because you've equipped your personnel in a sense that you'll be successful whether you show up to work or not it's this machine is just happening and uh, you've done your job in a sense as a leader. You just provide oversight to these animals who can just get shit done. I go on and on about leadership. I've been in the literature for a long time and I can't wait to get past this class. All right. From Bludgy. B-L-U-D-G-E-E. What's your best relationship advice? Oh man, I'm all right. Disclaimer: I'm probably gonna be the worst at giving relationship advice. Uh, fast forward, I don't know, two or three minutes, whatever. I'm gonna just talk shit here because I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, all my relationships have ended in fire and flames and brimstone, so. I would say that the best relationship for advice is to acknowledge that when you fall in love with someone or you both agree like, okay, we are going to enter a relationship. The knowledge of that person is going to change and evolve over time. The acknowledgement and the acceptance of that throughout time is going to be the most critical aspect of your relationship. In other words, two people are 18 years old and they start a relationship. When 10 years later, when they're both 28, though they are not the same persons when they were 18. So, when you fall in love with someone, you're not falling in love with a static person. You have to, you're gonna there's gonna be phases of love. Maybe they change at twenty four for the for the benefit or detriment of the relationship, and I, and that's why they put for better or worse in that uh, verbal contract of marriage. For better or worse is like the most important part of that. Uh, to have and to hold, yay, is exciting. Woo! To have and to hold, but for better or worse, like that's, that's, whoever wrote that is a genius. Because there's gonna be better and there's gonna be worse. And if you acknowledge and accept, like, okay, she's going through a bad time, or okay, he's going through a bad time, but I'm gonna learn to love them. I'm gonna stay with them through their dark times, and we're gonna figure this shit out together. Because in a few more years, that phase will be over and it'll be someone else or 10 years or whatever. Uh, the acknowledgement and acceptance 
that you when you're in love with someone it's not going to be static it's like uh, you change like of course you change like everybody changes you gotta change <laughs> you don't change like what the fuck are you doing with your life so when when someone says you've changed like good thank you thanks for the compliment oh, hopefully it's for the better but maybe not right i'm half the man i used to be it's like the song i played earlier right that's change or i'm 150 percent of the man i used to be like, that's a change as well so, I don't know, man. Uh, I just I probably didn't make any sense. But acknowledging each phase is essentially a different person, and um, you're falling in love with a different person as time goes on and as phases occur. So, yeah. That was the relationship advice. Good question. From cute Katie2983. <laughs> she puts serious on this. When did you know it was time to throw the towel in on a relationship or friendship? Throw the towel in. Oh, okay. Um, I refer back to the movie The Mexican. Brad Pitt, James Gandolfini, um, Sarah Jessica Parker. Is that her in that movie? No, I don't even know. Jessica, Jessica something. Doesn't matter. There's a scene where James Gandolfini asks her when two people love each other and just can't get it together, at what point do you say enough is enough? And she goes on and she, you know, rants and, and kind of dances around the question because she doesn't know the answer. And James Gandolfini says, that's not the answer. Uh, when two people look at each other at, and, then, and they can't get it together, at what point do they say enough is enough? And he says, never, right? If two people love each other, at what point do they say enough is enough? And James Gandolfini says, the answer is never. So when do you know it was time to throw the towel in? you could make the argument never, right? If you love the person, if you love your friend, uh, no matter what's happening, it's never. You're going to be with them and you're going to figure it out um, until you can't do it anymore. Then you throw in the towel. But in my opinion, if that's your buddy, if that's your friend, if that's your comrade, if that's your troop, if that's your whatever, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, best friend, um, whatever you want to call it, you stay with them. You you un you help them unfuck their lives, and you guide them through the darkness, and you make sure um, nobody messes with your tribe. If that's a person in your tribe, you defend that tribe. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's how I feel about that. This one is from Telecommunications Five G. Oh, in Korea, I know South Korea is talking about that 5G. What's your best quote and who said it? This one's easy. Following your own curiosity is a better method for exploring the world than any other, other methods offered. Sheer curiosity. I live my life according to that saying. I mean, I heard that saying and it just uh, revamped. 
the way I live my life. That's by Terrence McKenna, Dennis McKenna's brother. He died in the early 2000s from a tumor in his brain. So he was a uh, a bard, um, brilliant guy, brilliant speaker, uh, one of my faves. He's one of my faves. So follow your own curiosity is the best way to live your life. Just let your curiosity guide you. Um, that's how you find out what you're interested in, right? I feel like taking jujitsu, right? You go to jujitsu, you go to a class, it's your first class ever. Scary. People who can literally kill you in that class. But you keep going, right? Your curiosity will say, oh, I kind of like this class. I got fucked up tonight. But I'm going to keep going, right? And then eventually you get a one stripe on your white belt and then you get a two stripe. Or you take up salsa dancing or whatever. Let your curiosity guide you and you'll find your interest if you just let... If you let that curiosity cat out of the bag and just let it take you to the places where you want to go. <clears throat> this one's from Ice Cream Stripes. Veterans of Reddit, what is something you wish you had known before joining the military? Uh, we just had a conversation about the first thing that popped in my mind. I wish I had known... And there's no way to articulate this to someone that hasn't deployed. But I feel as though a part of you dies each time you deploy and come back. Not literally, of course, but um, what I mean by that is you go to deploy and you work 60, 70 hours a week and you have a mission and you're very important and you are a person who is very critical in whatever the mission is. You got to... You have a lot of responsibility. You have a lot of gear. Um, the conditions are... They suck. I mean, it's like 120, 130 degrees. Um, you have your helmet on 12 or 13 hours. I mean, depending on your job in the military, of course. But you really have a sense of purpose. And then when you come back, in the Guard especially, in the Reserves, they kind of let you go. They let you free. And then you go back your house or you go back to your family and you have to try to figure out this this transition on your own and if you don't have the drive to really create a new sense of purpose you you can really struggle and I, I would say the transition from a deployment or from a, a full-time military life aspect into a civilian life or back to a normal life or whatever you want to call it plays a variable in people doing 22 push-ups a day, right? They do 22 push-ups because 22 veterans kill themselves a day. And I don't think that transition is talked about enough. I don't think the funding is allocated in a way to help assist people with that transition. I don't think people who need help reach out for help as much as they should. I don't think people who need help internalize what's happening enough and go to a yoga class or, you know, go out and get involved with the community. I, it, some of it is their fault as well, I, I would admit to that. But it's a myriad amount of variables that play into that. 
So, you can't tell that to an 18, 17, 19-year-old who wants to join the military. I mean, like, hey, by the way, when you enlist, uh, a part of you is going to die every time you deploy. Like, they're going to run and scream and cry. So, of course, recruiters don't say that because they have a job, they have a mission, they have tasks. They got to bring people in, right? This uh, voluntary military. So, yeah. Wow. From Kylie Jenner's fetus. <laughs> oh. When did you officially stop giving a fuck? Um, probably around 30. I would say about 30 when I was like, yeah, fuck this. Life is weird and crazy and awkward. But you gotta roll with the punches. From Immediate Letterhead. While working with foreign forces, what did you find most unusual about their customs, behavior, and such? 2012. I was in Kathmandu and I was in Pokhara, uh, two major cities in Nepal, prior to the earthquake, of course. And I was given a reporting time. I think it was like 9 a.m. or something uh, to teach a class. And I was there early. I was there like 8.45. I had set up the projector. I had made sure that the power worked. I had made sure the microphone worked. I, I tested everything I made like I'm if I'm gonna teach a class I'm gonna make sure everything is good to go because I refuse to look like an idiot prior to the class right I think most people who uh, want to put on a good performance will do the things necessary to ensure they don't look like an idiot so 901 rolls around nine o'clock 902 905. And I was like, "Where the, f where is, where is all the, where is everybody? Where are these Nepali army dudes that I'm supposed to teach? No one's around." The commander comes in and he goes, "Hey, what's up?" Like he just kind of was like, "Where's all your people, man? Like what the fuck is happening?" And he goes, "Oh yeah, yeah, nine o'clock, but whatever, right? Come, we drink milk and cookies, uh, biscuits first. It's like what?" He's like, yeah, no, before work, we must drink some milk and have some biscuits. They were like cookies, but they called it biscuits. So we're outside and it's like 930 and he's t he's asking me about my family, about like my wife, about like what happened with my marriage and um, why I don't have any kids and. Like, what am I about? And what are my thoughts about Nepal? And like, what do I think about the culture? And it's like 9.40, 9.50. And I'm like, oh my God, like we're an hour late into this thing. We're extremely behind schedule. And he has this like back and forth conversation. He wants to learn about me. So we didn't start the class till like 10.20. And... I started to this that I think that was the first time I realized how how I had essentially gotten brainwashed into uh produce 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 like strict guidelines strict parameters uh 
you have to meet deadlines. Like, everything is on a time crunch. So, sometimes it's business before pleasure, and sometimes it's pleasure before business. And they have a strong argument. Uh, and they're not exclusive with this. When we work with militaries in the Middle East, oftentimes we'll have tea before we talk about any kind of business. So, it's interesting. That that was probably um, one that really blew my mind. That militaries could utilize the paradigm of pleasure before business and say screw deadlines and um, deal with interpersonal connections before dealing with any kind of items or tasks that need to be accomplished. So that was a mind blower that I will probably never forget and maybe always refresh in my mind that sometimes, you know, go for a walk, smell the flowers. Uh, even though you have shit you got to do, everybody has shit they got to do. You got to take a step back and realize like, okay, I, I will get all the shit done eventually. Like everything will get done. My to-do list will get done. But I also got to have some goddamn milk and biscuits. And get to know people and figure shit out. <clears throat> okay, next. From Liavi21. I'm applying for several jobs. And one of the questions is why do I want to work here? I can't tell them that I need a job. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Okay, that's a tough one. You have to not be desperate, but you also have to be confident. And you have to also show that you want the job. So there's a happy medium there because you can't come off as egotistical and overconfident and narcissistic. Um, one technique I like to use and I like to see, see people use because sometimes I'm the interviewer trying to uh, interview the person across. If you treat it like a stepping stone, like you have a vision, if you can articulate your vision and say, okay, yes, I'm going to work at this job, but... I foresee myself one day being a manager and in order to be a manager at this organization, I'm going to have to learn the ropes. I come from this certain background and it correlates with this uh, in these ways, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. But I really like this organization and here are some facts about the organization. People like when you really research some shit and you throw some numbers back at them. That's good as well. Uh, you've been interested in the job for a while and you really want to work here and you could be an asset to the company because of XYZ. I think that uh, are some of the ways you want to prepare yourself for an interview. And they say body posturing too. Body posturing, uh, confident posturing prior to the interview uh, shows some positive effects post-interview. So... The data is clear on that. 
from Gherkins or Jerkins, G H E R K I N S. What is the best what is the best piece of advice you could give a teenager? Uh don't worry so much. The adolescence um can be traumatizing, I mean, for a lot of people. We're all lost, right? We're all trying to figure out our lives. You're 13, 14, 15, and everybody's putting pressure on you that, hey, when 18, when you hit 18, you need to have your shit figured out. Like, that is a daunting task to be 16 and have the cultural pressure of, hey, in two years from now, you need to have your shit together. So much so that we're, parents are willing to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars based on your decision. Like at 18, I, I want to be a psychology major and I want to go to a, a school in Northern California because of XYZ. And then your parents go in debt or they refinance their house and they send you only to find out at 20 or 21 you say, fuck this degree. I like philosophy or uh, maybe sociology or I've come to find that I want economics and then you're trying to figure out your life mid tens of thousands of dollars had being spent already. So I would say don't worry so much. Uh, don't make... Ah, that's a tough one. I don't know if I want to give that advice. I, I would say take a year off. Don't go to college immediately. Take a year off. Travel if that's possible. Read as much as possible, like find some books. If you're hurting for money, like get some free books. You can go to the library, just read a book. When I was in high school, I was a nerd. My mom used to drop me off at the library in the morning when they opened. And then she'd pick me up when they closed. And I would just read, I would sit in the library all day and I'd just read everything. I was obsessed with Ronin's at the time. And I'd read all about Japanese culture and and how Ronins uh, roamed around essentially as mercenaries, as independent contractors, let's call them. So don't worry so much. Learn as much as you can. Um, things aren't as important as they feel. You might get hit with some shit in your life, and it might feel like the whole world is ending, but you're going to be fine. Don't get pregnant or get someone pregnant too early. That's... Uh, a pretty good saying to go to or get pregnant or 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 get somebody pregnant early and you'll be a young uh father so or mother when was the last time you had your back up against the wall from nameless 14 uh a lot of times i try to put my back up against the wall as much as i can i know that the animal is the most dangerous when backed into a corner um, what's it saying from Steve Harvey? Uh, take the leap of faith and you'll discover wings you thought you never had. So I back myself into the corner all the time. I'll, you know, wrap my head or, wrap my head around trying to buy a property that maybe I shouldn't buy. Or maybe I'll take on another mortgage and now I'm juggling five mortgages. And I don't know how I'm going to pay all this shit off. But you just figure it out when you're backed up into a corner. So... I think the premise of your question implies that being backed up against a wall is a good is a bad thing where I would argue it's a good thing because 
that's where you'll find your creativity. That's where you'll maybe have some kind of disruptive innovation. J.K. Rowling put her books together when she was homeless. Um, so that's how that went. Okay, one more question because we're an hour and two minutes in. Is going to church necessary? No. <laughs> that was easy. I am becoming very cynical. I am becoming very disillusioned with church. The lack of enthusiasm for prayer. I tried to organize a prayer meeting for my town with a vision for all churches to come together for an event. I emailed 10 churches and three people came. That was pathetic. Um, you in you emailed 10 churches and three people came. All right. Uh, when you email people, the stats will show that you get a low turnout. Um, Facebook, like a Facebook event, those are rather high relative to email, so maybe you should have done that. Your marketing maybe was flawed. The church as a whole seems to be asleep. <laughs> I'm not asleep, I'm just praying, bro. It says, Christ is coming back for a bridge without blemish. I take it as prophetic and still to come rather than actually happening now. Alright, man, what in the fuck is your question? I sent my minister six or seven texts this afternoon and he never replied. And when I phoned his wife, hey, man, don't covet thy neighbor's wife. Or ox or house or whatever. What is that? The Sixth Amendment? Commandment. I found his wife. She didn't seem bothered about it and said that people were on holiday and they're going in tomorrow. I want to give up on the church. Give up! Um, nobody cares. Uh -huh. uh, man, you're going to get me into religion. If you don't, I'll go. If you don't want to go to church, don't go. If you want to go, go. Nobody cares. Um, if you feel like you want to organize a bunch of shit and you feel stuck because nobody cares until you start a movement. So take your three people that came and then turn that into five people next time. And then eventually that'll be seven people and you just keep doing it until there's like 20 goddamn people there. You want to start a movement, you start small and you build your way up. You're not going to like, hey, I want to start a movement. I want 100% participate. It's not going to happen, fuckface. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, this podcast is over. Hour and five in. I didn't even think I would go this long. As always, I'm going to play you out with Ed Dupas' song, Promised Land. Um, because when we help each other, we can walk together into the promised land. We're all about people anyway, so... No matter what your job is, you're helping people. That I, There's a couple of big questions that I ponder a lot. And one of them I think I got down pretty strong is that what are we doing here? You know, people ask that question. The why are we here? What are we doing here? What is consciousness? What happens after the big fucking questions? They always say don't talk about religions, politics. 
uh, and money. <laughs> That's my three favorite subjects. So, um, I think I got what we're doing here down pretty well. I, what we're doing here is we're just all here, here to help each other. No matter if you work at Walmart, you're a greeter, you're helping people, you're restocking so that people can buy, you're a cashier, you're going to deal with people. You're in the military, you're dealing with people, you're in real estate, you're dealing with people, you're helping people. No matter how you frame the argument, it seems as though the foundation of what we're doing here is to help people. So if this podcast helps one or two people, I feel as though I win. And Promised Land by Ed Dupas, not only because I was I got authorization and I essentially licensed that song, we just gotta help each other or we will completely be fucked. So, um, we'll talk soon. Here's Promised Land by Ed Dupa. Take it. Hey. 